0: Well, hey there, and welcome to the Untangling Life podcast with Rachel Wojo. I'm Rachel, and I am honored that you are giving us some of your time today. Today, I have a special guest on the show, my friend, Nan Jones, Nan, I'm
1: so glad you made it. I am so happy to be here and excited to share what God has done in my life so that you in turn will be encouraged that nothing is impossible with our God. That's good. You know,
0: I typically don't dance around issues. You've known me long enough Mm -hmm. to know that I like to get straight to the heart of a matter. And so we will dive right in. Um, both of us have experienced a lot of pain and suffering and loss. And I know those topics are not a stranger to you by any means. I would say that you and I are soul sisters in this regard. I think there's a sort of a special cavalry of ministry leaders who have gone through hardship in a very real and tangible way. So would you begin our conversation today by sharing what happened in your family in 2003?
1: Yes, I absolutely will, Um, because this is what it was a pivotal year for me in my walk of faith. It was a devastating year. It was a year that I wouldn't like to relive, but the reward that has since come from 2003 you know, the Lord says he is our exceedingly great reward. And I have learned through times of loss and suffering that I find him more and more. In 2003 was the beginning of this journey, I guess, of learning who he is in my sorrow. Um, It began with my brother committing suicide. And then six weeks later, my father was diagnosed with leukemia. Seven months later, he died. You know, within seven months, he was gone. My mom had died when I was 20 and I have a wonderful, wonderful stepmother. She died just last year at age 98, but nevertheless, my immediately biological family, they were gone. Mm. They were gone. And I was daddy's little girl, you know, so that's hard too. So, um, and then a few months after daddy died, a very close friend of mine died of ovarian cancer
0: mm.
1: and I had anointed her with oil and prayed the prayer of faith for her healing and we were pastoring in a, a precious little Baptist church where they didn't do that kind of thing. <laughs> but I believed because she was my friend and I wanted God to heal her. I wanted desperately. She had two young boys. I mean I just and one was special needs, you know, and I was just like and she died on top of daddy dying and on top of my brother dying. And then a few months after she died, um we we're asked to leave the church. Imagine that, um, that we have pastored several years and there's no hurt like church hurt. It's a hurt of a heart, especially when you're the pastor and his wife. But for anyone who goes through church hurt, it's devastating. And so it was sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow. And, you know, when you go through those seasons, it chips away. It chips away at your joy. It chips away at your strength, your faith. All that you've ever believed and staked your life on is starting to crumble. It's a horrific time. And I got to where I couldn't pray. I was numb. I was, I could say Jesus. I could pray Jesus. And that, What I did a lot, you know, I I still was clinging. I was like, but God, where are you? Why is this happening to me, to our family? I was clinging. And interestingly enough, as I would speak the name of Jesus, you know, what came to my mind was the old rugged cross. And for months, maybe a year, I sang the old rugged cross. If I was washing dishes, if I was driving, if I was doing, no matter what vacuuming, whatever I was doing, that song, I couldn't pray. <laughs> I was too numb in my spirit, but I've always loved to sing and I would sing on a hill far away, stood an old rugged cross and tears would come. But that was, I was the roots of my faith. That song represented why I could cling. Even though I didn't understand, even though I was falling apart, I felt like the sorrow was consuming me. The old rugged cross kept me clinging to him and he brought me through. That's a lot of loss,
0: huge magnitude of loss. Yeah. Did you, would you say that you had healthy role models when it came to experiencing loss and coping with grief and how to manage all of that magnitude of loss?
1: I don't know. I, I wouldn't think of it as having a role model in ministry. You're around a lot of grief. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've been with people at the threshold of death and eternity many, many times. And it's the, it's a holy, sacred space for me. Mm-hmm. Something that I don't fear. So I've watched others. But, but I think, well, for one thing in 2003, our children are in their 30s now, but they were still school age, you know, back then. Um, we have always had a close family unit, very close, even to this day, we're very close and we've always allowed, you know, own your emotion. Hey, if you're <laughs> feeling it, it's okay to feel this. God is okay with you feeling this. The, the anger is not the sin. It's the harboring the anger that allows you to separate from God. That's, I mean, nothing separates us from his love, but we put up a wall that breaks fellowship. So, So within our home, we always allowed children and adults. We always allowed one another. What is it? It's okay to feel what you're feeling. It's okay to ask the hard questions. And then let's get through it together. You know, mm-hmm. let's identify and then let's take it to the Lord because it, we had a foundation of faith in our home. We we didn't give the kids religion. We gave them Jesus, mm-hmm. and, which makes it harder when one decides to be a prodigal. <laughs> but he's back. He came back. But yeah, it makes it harder but because we gave them Jesus. So I think and I believe that, that's a great question because I really never thought about it. But I believe that that's the core it's okay to own and name that emotion. I talk about that in the book, the offering you have to, when you can name what is consuming you, you break its power because that name is what you can offer. Mm, That is so good. When you can
0: name what's consuming you, then you break the power. Mm -hmm. I think that is so important. That sort of brings us to this next topic I wanted to ask you Mm -hmm. about. And that is, The word lament, the word lament, and it's such a beautiful word to me, but what does that word lament really
1: mean to you? Right. I had to truly consider the process. The book that my book that just came out is the offering, How to Emerge from Shattered Faith. Well, how do you do that? (laughs) How do you do that? Lord, how do I do this? How do I come out of this brokenness? How do I do this? And lament dropped into my spirit. And I didn't even understand. We we don't hear that word in church. You know, I mean, I didn't. You know, I know the word, but I never had considered the word. And the Lord took me to um, Psalm 42, 7. That's the one that starts with, as the deer panteth for the water. So my soul longs for you, O Lord. Well, I think it's verse seven, but somewhere in Psalm 42 is the phrase as deep calls to deep Mm -hmm. and I'm visual. And so phrases like that get my attention, but I didn't understand it. And I mean, for several years, honestly, I had not not relating it to lament at that point, but just for several years, it it always caught my Lord. What does this mean? Deep, cause deep, and it finally occurred to me that the depths of my pain call out to the depths of his love, mm-hmm. and he meets me there. His all sufficiency meets my insufficiency and heals me and completes oh, me. That's so beautiful, and that is what lament is: the depths of my pain, the depths of your pain, in lamenting. That depth calls out to the depth of his love with honesty, with authenticity. And King David is our example. I love his example. I love to point people to his example. It's okay to express your anger to God. It's okay to question him, to be frustrated and afraid and confused. It's not okay to harbor it not because he will reject you, but because that harboring builds a wall and separates and breaks your fellowship. Mm. In lamenting, that is holy and acceptable to the Lord. If you think about it, I believe that if we feel that we can express our true heart and feelings and emotions to the Lord, isn't that an expression of trust? Yes. is that an expression of faith? honesty he is it's not it's not a place of shame Mm -hmm. it's a place of saying lord you let me down Mm -hmm. big time i don't understand but i want to understand this is how i feel so it's the pouring out in the process of lamenting it's the pouring out to reach the depth of his love Mm -hmm. because he will Always respond. What does he tell us? He draws near to the brokenhearted and to those crushed in spirit. Wow. And when you are crushed, a contrite heart is beautiful to the Lord. If you look at the definition of contrite, it is a thoroughly crushed <laughs> spirit. You know, contrite is used with repentance, but contrite also, I think, transfers over to having a broken heart, a crushed mm-hmm. spirit. Mm-hmm. He that's wholly and acceptable to him. When that's get- reminded
0: me of Hannah, the story of Hannah and how she says, I have poured out my soul to the Lord. And I really believe that that pouring out is what he's looking for when we're that raw honesty and vulnerability before him. He already knows the emotion, but by sharing it with him, that opens the door for us to understand that he can handle it. As Corey Timbin would say, there is no pit too deep that God's love is not deeper still. That's what was echoing in my mind when you were talking about deep calls to deep and all of that conversation. So beautiful. So there's a quote in your book, The Offering, that makes me smile because it's so true. You say sometimes God takes a long time to do something suddenly. Yes. Amen. Amen. Lord, you do it all the time. Because <laughs> what would, do you do? <laughs> I would love for you to share the meaning of this quote in your life.
1: Yes. I don't, I wish I knew who the original person was. It was not my quote, but it, you know, it touched my heart deeply. What do we do? We pray and we wait and then we wait and we pray and then we pray and we wait. It is taking forever. And it's like, God, what do you do? doing you know what what is taking so long and then all of a sudden everything comes together he has taught me so much about his eternal perspective okay things Mm -hmm. in our life are monumental we follow a clock we follow a calendar it takes time god follows no time (laughs) for him it's like this so when we're waiting and praying and praying and waiting it's taking a stretch of time. But in eternity, God is putting all the pieces together to give us the answer to our prayer or the manifestation of our dream and our hope or whatever it is that we're praying and waiting on. God's perspective is like this. It's sudden because he does not follow a clock. He does not follow a calendar. We do. So when we're waiting, and we're praying, we think he's doing nothing. He's working. In his suddenly, he's working to put it all together. So, what does that? How does that help us? If we can learn to make a shift to see things through an eternal perspective, through God's perspective, it helps so much. And I'm not there completely yet. I still get frustrated when I'm having to wait on things. You know, we all do. We're human. We all do. But I'm trying to learn to go there quicker.
0: Yes. I'm Uh, I'm I'm
1: praying and I'm waiting and nothing's happening. I'll go, wait a minute, Lord, you hear me when I pray. You, you delight in giving me the desires of my heart and you cause my will to line up with yours. But I'm waiting. I'm waiting Mm -hmm. on your snap when everything falls into place in our time sensitive world. (laughs) He doesn't have that to put it together.
0: Yeah, we can't see into eternity. We just have to trust that his timing will be of excellence and it will be bigger and better than we can imagine. What has been some of the more recent suffering in your life that your heart has had to endure? Would you share that with us? I will. In the past decade, the Action Bible has helped millions of kids across the world better understand the stories of the Bible. Through vivid illustrations and fast-paced stories, children have engaged in God's Word like never before. Now, in 2024, there is a new edition, the Faith in Action edition with enhanced features The Action Bible Faith in Action Edition has a new color design, 230 Bible stories, and digital resources that will help kids grow in the knowledge of God's Word. These resources include hundreds of devotionals, prayers, timelines, maps, Bible facts, teaching videos, activities, and more. Additionally, kids will learn about seven major themes of the Bible. These themes include courage, Faith, hope, love, service, trust, and wisdom. The Faith in Action Edition is the most complete illustrated Bible for kids. You can purchase your copy today of the Action Bible Faith in Action Edition at Sam's Club, Barnes & Noble, ChristianBook.com, or wherever books are sold.
1: I absolutely will. Um, I told you about 2003, and now I can look back and see how that year and other things that came afterward, but that was the year God was preparing me for 2014. Um, I, I asked my husband before he always prays for me. And I said, we're going to talk about things. And are you okay with that? And he said, absolutely. Because like me, he wants our story to help someone else. Um So, 2014, David and I had been in ministry together as a pastor and his wife for 31 years. Wonderful years. We were one. I mean, our marriage truly won. We not only were in covenant with one another, we were in covenant with God. You know, we had made that declaration in our wedding even that we were in covenant with him. Such a special. It, we, people would tell us you have the marriage that we envy. So that's important that you understand that, that that was a solid place in my life. In 2014, something started happening with David. He was changing. And we had gone through extensive unemployment was when the the market had broken a few years earlier. And anyway, it was just a hard time anyway. So I thought, okay, that's what's happening. Um, He just needs space and grace, you know. But what actually was happening was uh, adulterous affairs. He began to drink. He began to lie and to cuss. And it was like, who are you? Who are you? It was, I cannot, I still don't have even the words to fully Mm -hmm. describe. Because we separated for two and a half years. I was on in a fetal position, dysfunctional for like six months. I couldn't even sleep in my own bed for months on end. The kids came and stayed with me. Um It was all before they had kids of their own uh, for like six weeks, you know, just so I wouldn't be alone. I mean, it was even thinking about now I can tear up. It was horrific, horrific because it made no sense. But I, David was sick. I didn't know he was sick for four years. I didn't know he was sick, but mm-hmm. Two thousand fourteen we separated. In October of two thousand sixteen, he came he came home or tried to at that point. He'd been living in Hickory. It's a two hour drive from our house. He was completely homeless. He had walked for two days in hitchhike to get back to the mountain, slept behind a guardrail overnight that night, and showed up at my door and I turned him away. Turned him. I didn't want him here. I I I had grounds for divorce, spiritual grounds for divorce, but that wasn't part of who we were. So I never could do that because I loved the man I married. I just didn't know this person. I turned him away. And that night, our summer third shift works third shift. And it was October in the mountains, nine o'clock at night, and he passed his daddy on the road. And he said, Mama, I couldn't just keep going. So he picked him up and brought him home. Well, you know, it was October, nine o'clock at night. You know, it was cold. So we live in an old farmhouse and um, upstairs was an extra bedroom. And I called our, we only have one shelter in the high country. in Boone and they were full to capacity. So there was no place to go, no place to take him. So I said, okay, you can stay upstairs for two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> two <weeks. laughs> That was in 2016, <laughs> two weeks. Um, you're going to find a job. You're going to find an apartment and then you're going to get on your way. You know, I, I don't want you here. Well, so that so I got him into some crisis counseling. They thought he was depressed. You know, well, yeah, we all were, you know, um, but something was terribly wrong, terribly wrong. Like he wanted to help me. So he'd wash dishes and would not rinse the dishes. He didn't forget to rinse the dishes. He didn't know he needed to rinse the dishes. The difference I caught him putting a paper plate into a hot oven, trying to heat up some pizza. He didn't know you can't put a paper plate into a hot oven. And I'm like, what is happening? So it was clear he could not take care of himself, but he still had to stay upstairs and it was still tense and uncomfortable. So it took two years. Get us to 2018. Two years of him living upstairs and we finally finally after many neurological tests and everything else we found the diagnosis frontal temporal dementia which begins with a behavior flip of is your frontal temporal i mean your frontal lobes and your temporal lobes your place of reasoning your place of judgment there's a personality flip inappropriate behaviors all that we had an explanation we had an explanation it took after you got home two years to get the diagnosis and I was walking through my office one night because there's still yes I have an explanation thank you God I have an explanation but the wounds in my heart ripped to shreds ripped to shreds and I'm walking through my office and the Lord said Nan um, I need you to take Care of my faithful servant, would you do mm. that for me? And I said, No, I will not do that for you. Oh man. And um, uh, yeah, I said, Nope, 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 nope. Oh, said, somebody else to this one. Uh-huh. I said, Nope. But his family had disowned him too because mm. of his behavior because we didn't know he was sick. But see, now we do know he's sick, but now I'm wounded and poor, you know. Yeah. And so I said, No. He said, The Lord said, Well, you don't, you don't have to, you know, literally, you can divorce him. And it'll be okay, but he has no one. Would you consider taking care of my faithful servant? Now, see, David, he was, he didn't play the church games. (laughs) And so in meaning that he, like we had to leave one church because people were coming. So many people were coming, but they weren't the right kind of people. You see what I'm saying? Like he would go to the jails and, and share the gospel with. With the inmates, you know, and and give them hope of life. He and one of our church members down off the mountain um, was a policeman. And on Friday nights, David would go with with this person to the red light district (laughs) on Spring Road (laughs) to witness to the prostitutes and bring them to church and get them saved. I mean, that's, that's my husband. He has such a heart for the unlovelies of society. And now he was one of them, you know? So the Lord saying, man, he's been so faithful. Would you? I, and finally, I mean, I wrestled like Jacob wrestled, I wrestled and finally I said, okay, but you got to help me go. <laughs> your grace and your strength. And that was the pivot for forgiveness. That was, it didn't, have, it still took two more years to forgive. It did. Mm-hmm. He stayed upstairs for another year before he came down. Um, Before I let him come back down to stay, you know, in our room. But, um, but God has done this incredible work and and yes, the, the dementia is advancing, but yet he should be dead by now, according to doctors. And he is not. He prayed for me the most beautiful prayer before I came on here. But that is where the offering, here's my book. That is our story because I understand anyone who is crushed in spirit, who loves God and are so angry with God, you put this wall up and don't want to be near him. I received
0: an email. I was actually going to print it out and read it. Um, some of it today in our time together, Nan, because the email was from a lady who's in her sixties, who has gone through so much. I mean, she describes her life in this email and it is horrific. It is a terrible awful set of circumstances that I wouldn't wish on anyone. And she talks about how this has made her so angry and she is so bitter at God. And you and I both, we have these beautiful stories of, yes, I was mad at God, but he forgave me. I forgave him for what I thought he needed to be given for. I, experienced a transformation in my heart over a time period, over a process, what would you say to the person who's listening right now who says, my faith is shattered. I don't believe in God anymore. I'm mad. I'm hurt. And I'm tired of coping with this messed up world that we live in and my situation specifically, the deaths, the suffering, the losses, the sin, all the parts of things that I didn't ask for, I didn't want any of this. Mm -hmm. How would you encourage that person to find beauty in the ashes of what they're sitting in right now? Because it doesn't look like there's anything left of her life. And I was so taken back by her email that I just sat there for a minute and thought, Lord, I don't even know what to say to her. I don't even know how to encourage her heart because she's right. There is nothing but ashes there. So in this beautiful book, your beautiful book the offering, you do encourage women and encourage Christians on how to sit in those ashes and look for the beauty. Would you share with us what your really what you your lesson learned, your principles that you've learned to live by?
1: are in this time frame absolutely I hear from people like that too and it always breaks my heart but I can also relate and understand and first thing is is oh there is no shame in what you're feeling there's no shame okay is justifiable it is yours to own everybody around you understands how you're feeling and god understands he searches our heart knows our anxious thoughts so that is number one um is that it's okay it is your pain do not be ashamed that you feel this way because that is the work of the enemy in itself if he can get you in the shame then he can keep you away from reconciliation and restoration. Yes. I also had to come to the realization that we live in a fallen world. Now we say that those words often. Some people do. I do. But it's true. Bad mm. things happen to good people. Well, yeah. why didn't God prevent that? Well, because until Jesus returns, <laughs> this is Satan's domain. He is the prince of the power of the air and he roams this earth, walking to and fro, seeking whom he can devour. He, we're told he comes to steal, kill and destroy. How mm. does he do that? Typically four categories through division, through distraction, through deception and through discouragement. Mm. Those the areas that the enemy works to steal and kill and destroy. That is the reality that we don't like. We don't want to acknowledge it. We think it's stupid but if you believe in the word of God, it's truth. That is how the enemy works. So God, where are you in all of this? He is drawing near. He Mm. is coming close just as he promised but we're looking here. This is our circumstance and it's real and it's painful and you hate it. You're just consumed. All the while God is coming to that, to his child. He pursues us in the wilderness places, just like he did Hagar, just like he did the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. He had to go to Samaria because he knew she was there. He found Hagar in the wilderness. That implies he was seeking this young woman.
0: Mm-hmm. he
1: pursues us but if we are focused like we do and understandably so we focus on what is happening and it is destroying us that's all we can see and god is coming his spirit is pressing in but we don't see we don't recognize him because mm-hmm. our focus is here so that is where i think it begins um because then you go into lament, you know, you have just let it rip, let yeah. it rip. And yeah. then say God show. He loves to prove himself to his children. Yeah. I fully believe that. Amen. Um, and he says, if you seek me, you will find me. So he good. Yes. So that is, um, I would start there. It's okay mm-hmm. to whatever you're feeling is justified and people understand it. And so does God, yeah. but look up child. Yeah. Look up and risk it. Take a risk to see if I love you again. Well, Nan,
0: I appreciate you taking the time to share mm-hmm. how to emerge from shattered faith Amen. when, man, if anyone could say that they have a right to feel the way they do. It has been you with all that you have gone through. Mm-hmm. And so I'm so thankful that you did not stay in those difficult places in your mind and in your spirit, but that you took the path of choosing to learn to rely on God and want others to take that same path. Where can
1: people find you to connect with you, Nan? What's the best place? Okay. Um, my website is nanjones.com and my social media links are on there. I'm, I'm across the board on social media, but the, my Favorite hangout is on Facebook, my professional page. There's Nan Jones, author, speaker, and Bible teacher. Or my personal page, I'd love for you to join me there under Nan Trammell Jones. And you find the offering on Amazon right now. It will be merging into Barnes & Noble before too long and hopefully being available in some bookstores as well so awesome I will will be sure to provide
0: the link in the show notes and actually I say show notes but all you have to do if you're listening scroll down the page and get to the description and you'll be able to see the link right there to check out Nan's book Nan Nan, thank you so much for being with us today would you pray us out so that our just pray over our listeners for those who are discouraged for those who are walking through hard things right now, I know that they're listening because they would love to see their faith grow stronger and they would love to emerge from the dark places. And so would
1: you pray for them now for me, please? Absolutely, I would love to. Father, I thank you for your goodness. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, you are who you say you are and you do what you say you will do. And Lord, you search our hearts and you know our anxious thoughts. You know our going in, our coming out. You know all there is to know about us. You are El Roi, the God who sees and knows all about it. And you care enough to press in when we are brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. Lord, I pray for those who are listening. Lord, my heart breaks for them and your heart. When they weep, Lord, you are weeping because you are pressing in, whispering, calling their name. Lord, I pray you would open their ears to hear that still small voice once again. I pray that you would open the eyes of their heart to recognize tangible evidence that you are truly there with them, just as you said you would be. I'm so thankful that you understand us, that you are a good Father, tender and gentle in your love, and yet you are mighty in your power, and your desire is to see us healed and restored and reconciled to you. Lord, I ask that you would stir up faith and hope in the hearts of those who are listening, who are devastated. Let them know that they are not Alone in this pain, let them know that they do not need to feel ashamed of how they feel, Lord. You're not shaming them, you're not condemning them. That is the enemy of their soul to continue to keep them separated in fellowship with you, Father. Break through those walls in the mighty name of Jesus, hold them close, Lord. Open their eyes to see. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Nan. Oh, I love you, girlfriend.
0: (laughs) Talk to you later. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Untangling Life podcast with Rachel Wojo. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, be sure to subscribe. For show notes and free resources, visit rachelwojo.com. See you again soon.